Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. You know, you can't, I'm sure, help but be aware of the passing of Billy Graham this week. And uh, for me, I think about there are few people in the world that you feel like uh, their passing is removing one you know, saint uh, out of the world. And um, uh, that certainly was the case with Billy Graham. I have one uh, Billy Graham story that I wanted to share with you. Uh, years ago, maybe 30 years ago, um, the person that was the president of Young Life at the time, his name was Bob Mitchell, was watching TV and it was a Billy Graham crusade. And he's, Bob's kind of a funny guy and he said, ah, uh, oh, that was awesome, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write him a note and say, way to go, Billy. And so he, uh, he actually writes him a note and sends it off to wherever you would send a note to Billy Graham. And, and uh, he gets a phone call one day and it's somebody on the Billy Graham team. And they said, you know, Reverend Graham got your note and he really appreciated it and he'd love to meet you. And, and my friend Bob actually thought it was a crank call at first, he didn't believe it. And they convinced him that, no, I really do work for Billy Graham and, and he would love to meet you. He's gonna be in Toronto. If you could fly up there, he would love to get some time with you. And so Bob flew all the way to Toronto from Colorado Springs and uh, met with Billy Graham and they talked for a while together and it was just, it was you know, very cool. And, and then just as it was time to go, somebody knocked on the door and said, Dr. Graham, it's time to, it's time to leave. Uh, they got up and, and Billy Graham said, would you like to pray? And my friend Mitch thought, you know, Bob thought, I'm gonna pray with Billy Graham. Yeah, who wouldn't do that, right? So, so Billy Graham kneels by the, his bed uh, in his hotel room and Bob said for the next 90 minutes, he heard Billy Graham weep for kids. Bob was the president of Young Life working with teenagers and for the next hour and a half, Billy Graham prayed and wept for kids. And there was, there's no crowd, you know, no big TV audience. There was none of that. There was just my friend Bob Mitchell and Billy Graham kneeling in a hotel room bed and Billy Graham's crying for the sake of kids. And, and my, my friend Bob thought later, he mentioned to us, he said, you know, a thing that hit me was when was the last time I've wept over kids? You know, I'm the president of a youth ministry and here's Billy Graham and he's weeping over kids. And, and I think the thing that struck me was that, uh, you know, Billy Graham was so passionate for Jesus and so passionate for the cause of Christ that that really consumed his life. It, it wasn't the TV crowds, it wasn't the thousands of people in his crusades, it wasn't all of that, but it was passion for Jesus and a passion for people to hear the gospel and to, to know Christ, and, and that drove him. And that's been a, a huge thing in my life. What, what is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that, that really drives me? And when was the last time I wept over lost people, people that need to hear about Christ? It's a, it's a great tie-in to the passage that we're gonna look at this morning. In fact, I love this passage. It's Philippians chapter three, the first 11 verses. And um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, 
he's he's, uh, writing to these people that he loves in Philippi, and they're going through some challenging times. One of the things that's happened is that when Paul is put under house arrest in Rome, we've talked about this, you know, he's chained to the royal guard 24 hours a day, he's under this house arrest. Uh, The folks in Philippi send Epaphroditus, one of their pastors, and he brings support and encouragement to Paul. And and now Paul finds out um, through Epaphroditus that there's some some men who have come from Jerusalem, and there there are Jews who have become followers of Jesus, who have become Christians. They've gone all the way now to Philippi, and they've begun to teach the folks in Philippi that, you know, it's awesome that you've uh, become a follower of Jesus. It's awesome, because most of them were Gentiles in Philippi. It's awesome that you've come to find Jesus. It's awesome that you're a Christian now, but if you really want to be a full-on Christian, if you really want to be the, the, the real deal and do it the right way, you'll also follow all the Jewish traditions. You'll follow circumcision, you'll follow Jewish laws, you'll follow Jewish rituals and ceremonies and special days, and you'll really become Jew. And then, when you combine those two things together, uh, then you'll really be the real deal. And so one of the things that Paul is is addressing in his letter to to Philippi is that, that salvation is found in Christ alone. It's by faith in Christ. It's not by works. It's not by what we do. It's, it's not by following the rituals and the ceremonies, but it's about a heart that has found Jesus. It's about a heart that's found Christ and been you know, uh, redeemed by Christ and experienced the love of Christ and has been turned over to Christ. And, and so that's what Paul uh, is going to be addressing. And so the very first thing that he says, and I love this particularly, and you will when I explain to you, the very first thing that Paul says is finally my brothers, and that phrase in the Greek is brothers and sisters, my siblings, finally my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now just think about that for a second. He doesn't say, uh, hey, in spite of my suffering, he doesn't say um, all the great things that we've done. He says rejoice, our rejoicing is in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. That regardless of our circumstances, it's because of who we are in Christ, it's because of what Christ has done, it's because we belong to him. Uh, He's given us all of these lessons up to this point. He said our rejoicing, we rejoice because we're in the Lord. And that means that in your life, you always have something to rejoice about. There's never a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's never a moment in your life when you don't have something to rejoice about because you belong to Jesus. And and no matter how painful life is at the moment and no matter how horrible it feels at the moment, you always have that to rejoice about because you belong to Jesus. You're in Christ. So so here's the other part that he says. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, if you guys have known me for a while, and and a lot of you have, you'll know that that I always say that my primary spiritual gift is the gift of repentance, or the gift of repetition. And I repeat myself over and over again until I think everybody's got it or you're just bored to death. Um, And I I just got this great affirmation from the Apostle Paul that he said, hey, it's no problem for me to write this stuff to you over and over and over again. I want you to understand it, and it's safe for you. It's not gonna hurt you. Just read it again, think about it again. We rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice in our stuff. We don't rejoice in keeping the rules. We don't rejoice in our religiousness, but we rejoice because of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. And so I just wanna publicly thank the Apostle Paul for that encouragement. 
and that affirmation of my gift of repetition. He goes on to say, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he says, look out for the dogs. It's a little bit strong language, and, and if you think about it, um, if you put yourself in the first century and not you know, 2018, uh, you, you know, we have a dog at home, and uh, we, nobody needs to look out for our dog, right? I mean, she'll just come up and lick you, it's all good. But, um, but in those days, that was quite a different story because in those days, the dogs around the town were scavengers and, and they were mean and you would keep them. You wouldn't let your little kid go, kind of walk someplace by themselves, not because of worry about hoodlums, you're worried about the scavenger dogs and, and, and that they were, they were kept out of the way and they were you know, frightening for little kids and all those kinds of things. And so when he's talking about beware of the dogs, he's talking about beware of wild animals, beware of those scavengers Uh, that take the scraps that that steal who are dangerous. He says, beware uh, of the dog. So he's referring uh, to these these Christian Jews who are trying to add to the gospel. He's referring to them as as those scavengers. There was a word in the New Testament called Judaizers that they used for these people. And they were basically people that said that we want you to take your Christian faith and we want to add it to Jewish religion and then you've really got the real deal and they were called Judaizers, and he's saying, I want you to be aware of the, uh, beware of those people, uh, that they are, they're the dogs, they're the scavengers, and they're the evildoers because they're trying to add to the gospel. They're trying to say it's Jesus plus these things, and it's faith in Christ alone, and he wants us to understand that. So he says, be aware of the dogs, uh, be aware of evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, uh, for we, are the circumcision that circ- circumcision that's written in our heart, who worship uh, by the Spirit of God, uh, not by what we do, and they, we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence uh, in, in the flesh. So this idea of worship that he talks about in this context, it, it's not just music, which is awesome, by the way, um, but it, is, uh, it, it also carries with it the idea of serving. And so uh, Paul is saying that we uh, <coughs> that we worship uh, we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. That we serve with Christ, and part of how we serve with Christ is is through worship. It's through our singing. It's through the worship of the Word. It's through our giving. It's all of those things. But it's also we worship uh, as we serve along with Christ. And that's why I've got some buddies that tell me that part of their worship is give me a hammer and a saw. And when I'm fixing something for somebody, or I'm building something for somebody, or I'm digging a well, that's worship to them, that that's part of how they worship because it's serving along uh, for the sake of Jesus. And then we glory in him um, is to boast. Uh, it's to brag on Jesus. It's to brag on him. It's not about us, but, but we're talking about, we're lifting up 
who Christ is and we're boasting in his glory and what he's done. The attention isn't on me, but the attention is on who Christ is. And so uh, Paul is saying, this is how we want to operate. This is how we want to live our lives. We want to worship, not only we want to worship in our service of Christ, but we also want to boast in his glory and in his greatness and who he is and not put the attention on ourselves. There's a great reminder of this in Jeremiah in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Paul. Uh, Jeremiah 31 says this, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so here's what, here's what Jeremiah the prophet is saying. He's saying that at one time you had the list of the laws, but I'm going to put that law in your heart. I'm going to write it on your heart that it's going to be in you. It's going to be, as we know Christ, we've talked about the fact that Christ is in us, and, and we're transformed from the inside out, and our light shines from the inside out, and he's saying that this is going to be a transformation of who you are on the inside, that I'm going to write my law in your heart. And you know what Jesus said? Um, he said in Matthew 22, the, the great commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, these are the two greatest commandments, and all of the rest of the law is tied up into these two, and now he's saying, and these two, these are going to be written on your hearts, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is how we live our lives when Christ lives through us. When the love of Christ flows in us and through us, the result of that is how we love him and how we love other people. And God gets the glory for that. So Paul wants us to understand these things. You know, and I hope that you don't come to church thinking about all the great things that you've done this week and and how confident you are because of what a great person you've been this week and all the, you know, the nice ways that you've treated people and all of that because what this is really about is who gets the glory. And God gets the glory for our lives that our role is to boast about how great he is. And here's the thing, we all wanna lift up Jesus, don't we? Because we, there is no point in people inviting me into their lives. There's no point in people, you know, responding uh, that you're the greatest person on the face of the earth and I want to be a follower of you, that we want people to learn to follow Jesus. We want people to see Christ lifted up and, and, and to do that, he gets the glory in our lives, not us. And Paul's reminding us of that in this passage. Well, let's read a few more verses. Uh, in uh, Philippians 3, verses 4 to 6 says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. 
If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul's gonna give us his resume. He's saying, look, let me tell you, you guys, you're boasting in, in knowing the law and you're telling people they have to have Jesus plus, they have to add these things to their faith. Well, let me tell you, if you wanna you you look at resumes, if you wanna compare life stories, let me tell you what my life has been like. Uh, he says, I have more reason to boast. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. So he's of the tribe. Uh, uh, that, that Saul, the first king of Israel, came from. He is from the area in uh, Benjamin in Judah uh, where the Jerusalem is. He has this great resume. Uh, he, he is a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. As to the law, he's a Pharisee. He knew the law as good as anybody else in Israel. Uh, he was an expert in the law. Uh, as to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless and they were telling uh, them uh, how it was done in Jerusalem. He's saying, look, that's my resume, that's who I am. If anybody has reason to boast in their lifestyle, if anybody has reason to boast in their position, if anyone has reason to boast in all the things that they've done and all that they've accomplished, it's me, Paul says. Uh, those guys can tell you what it means to be a real, you know, a real Jew and a Jewish Christian, but let me tell you, they have nothing to boast in. Their works don't mean anything but here's what really matters. In verse seven, it says, but whatever gain I had, Paul says, I have the ultimate resume. I have impeccable credentials. I have the perfect bloodlines. I have all of those things, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says in the very beginning, rejoice in the Lord. And then he tells us why. He says, because you know what? I had a great life. I had accomplished everything that I could have accomplished. I had a, I had a spotless reputation. I had the perfect resume. I had all of those things, but I count it as loss for their surpassing knowledge of Jesus that when I came to know Jesus, when I experienced his love, when, when I experienced his forgiveness, all the rest of that stuff melted away. All the rest of that stuff had no great meaning for me. My resume, my old life had no meaning because now I knew Jesus. And the surpassing worth of knowing Christ made everything else pale in comparison. And, and, here, and here's what he says. He says the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Uh, that word knowing is so important for the people that were reading it in the first century. It's important for us. Uh, that, uh, that, uh, that knowing Christ is about relationship. It's not about knowing things about Jesus. It's about knowing him personally. And Paul said there is nothing on the face of the earth. There's no position 
There's no, you know, there's no recognition. There's no power. Uh, th- there's nothing that compares to knowing Jesus personally, to having a personal relationship with him. I don't know if you ever attempted to trade in your personal relationship with Jesus for knowing him or knowing more things about him or having more information or maybe it's more recognition from other people, it's more power from other people, but here's what the Apostle Paul who had attained all of that said, that nothing, nothing compares to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, really knowing him and being known by him. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Uh, You you know, he would, he had permission to go to people's homes, to drag them out of their house, to have them stoned or executed, uh, all kinds of manners of ways of of executing people. He had power to do that. He was part uh, of that. He, he had done all of those and then he came to Christ and then he experienced the forgiveness and the love of Jesus and it wrecked his life. It got a hold of his heart and he could never be the same again. And, and you know, one of my fears is that we're, we get so familiar with Jesus. We get familiar with the songs and we get familiar with the rituals and we get familiar with the verses and this, you know, the words and, and all of that stuff that we forget that it's about knowing him, that it's about a personal relationship with him, that Jesus came, died on a cross to forgive us of our sins and to give us the opportunity to have a personal relationship with the one who created the universe. It's just, it's, it's magnificent, it's overwhelming. It's why Billy Graham would kneel beside a bed for 90 minutes and weep for kids. It's why Paul would say there's nothing on earth that that compares to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus, knowing him personally, having a personal relationship with him. So the question is, do we think this way? Do you look at all the things that you hold in high regard, all the things that the world holds in high regard, and you realize Oh man, next to knowing Jesus, this doesn't mean anything. I, I think sometimes we, there is just this magnetic pull to stuff that at the end of the day doesn't really matter. But kind of in the moment, it, 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 it's appealing and, and kind of the moment it draws us in and, and it makes us feel important and it makes us feel a little bit better and or at least it makes us feel better than other people and we're kind of drawn to it, and Paul says, stop, don't, don't let that get a hold of you, that nothing compares to your relationship with Jesus, nothing compares to knowing Christ, there's nothing more important than knowing who Jesus is. In fact, he says this, for, this, for, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may obtain Christ. He says, you know what? Take every great thing that I've ever done, everything that I've ever attained and compared to Jesus, it's just garbage. It's what you throw out to those scavenger dogs. It's what, it's what, you, it's what you get rid of. It's what you can't stand the smell of. That it compared to knowing Jesus, all the things that I've attained, <clears throat> all the laws that I've kept, all of those things are garbage to me. They don't matter 
They're to be thrown out. They don't count anymore that my life is in Jesus and that's so much more, that's so much more beautiful, that's so much more important to me, that's so much more valuable to me that I belong to Jesus, that all the rest of that would feel like garbage. You know, that, maybe that's, maybe that's what we think about sometimes. When we're, when we're kind of caught in that moment of, of trying to find value in what we do or trying to find the value in, in what we've accomplished or what we've accumulated and, and to take a moment and say, that you know what, that's just garbage. At the end of the day, it's waste material. At the end of the day, it's gonna be thrown out. It's not gonna matter compared to knowing Jesus. And I personally don't wanna wait until I'm face to face with Jesus to begin to grasp that. Because I know that someday when I'm face to face with Jesus, nothing's gonna matter. Nothing else is gonna hold my attention. No one else is gonna hold my attention but Jesus. But I don't wanna wait until then for that to start to become real in my own heart and my own life. So we talk about preach the gospel to yourself every day, right? That, that every day we remind ourselves that that it's because of Jesus that we have a life. It's because of Jesus that we're forgiven. It's, it's Christ on the cross and it's the resurrection that gives us life. And, and I have to preach that to myself every day um, so I don't forget that that's what my life is about and that's where my life is hidden. That's who holds my life and everything else compared to knowing Jesus and having a personal, relation, personal relationship with him is garbage. And then, you know, he says this at, I've suffered the loss of all things that in order to gain Christ, I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You know, I'm thinking that if you really took that verse seriously, you, would, you might just wish that I'd stop this sermon at verse nine. But you gotta go to 10, don't you, Larry? You gotta talk about sufferings. You gotta talk about all of that stuff. That's the stuff that none of us want to hear. We live in America, for goodness sakes. <clears throat> we have spent our, the history of our country trying to eliminate suffering of any kind. We wanna be warm. You know, we wanna be safe. We wanna be entertained. We want all of those things. And Paul says that, that I share in the Lord's suffering and I want you to understand what he means by that, <clears throat> because the idea of sharing in his suffering, the word share in the New Testament, and this is where words really matter sometimes, uh, is the, the Greek word is koinonia. And a lot of you know that word means fellowship too. It's translated fellowship. Here's what Paul is saying, that I, wanna, I want to have be in the fellowship of Christ's suffering, that when I know Christ, I want all of Jesus. I want everything that he has to offer. And that might require some suffering. Uh, that might be, require some peeling back of my pride and, and my arrogance and my selfishness. And it, and it might cause some suffering in my life. It might cause some pain, but, but I wanna know Christ. I wanna be in that fellowship of his suffering. I wanna share in everything with Christ. And, and so part of this idea of suffering is saying that's how badly I wanna know Jesus. I'm, I'm willing to get rid of anything in my life that keeps me from having that kind of intimacy and knowledge of Jesus. And then the second thing that goes along with that is that we know that Christ loves us so much, he doesn't leave us the same. 
And he's constantly peeling those things out of our lives as we allow him that would keep us from knowing him, that would keep us from growing in him, that would keep us from being close to him. That, that, that suffering is part of what God does to peel those layers off so that we might have a more intimate knowledge of who Jesus is, so that we might know him and share in his resurrection. You see, the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus Christ lives in us. The power of the resurrection lives in you. And he said, I want you to experience that power. I want you to live in that power more and more and more. All right, Paul's consumed by this. He's so in love with Jesus. He's so amazed at the love of Jesus and what Christ has done that it's all consuming for him. I was reading a story this week about a young pastor who was working on a sermon. It's Saturday night, so he's a little behind. And uh, he's at the church, and he's working on the sermon, and the only other person in the church is an old, old man who's the janitor. And he's there cleaning and arranging the bulletins and getting everything ready for Sunday morning, and here's this young pastor. He's got a door open to his office, and he is laboring over his sermon, and it happens to be on the 23rd Psalm. And so this old man wanders by, and he looks in the door where the pastor's working on his sermon and he says to him, do you need any help? And this young pastor, you know, he's got a master's in divinity, for goodness sakes. He says, oh, I'm good. I've got it. I don't need any help. Thank you, though. It's nice of you. Kind of get on with your stuff, please. It's embarrassing. Um, and he's there laboring over the 23rd Psalm and, and uh, this old man comes by again and he stops at the door, and he said, you okay, do you need any help? And so this young pastor, he's frustrated, he turns and he says, how can you possibly help me with my sermon? And this old man said, well, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. And it, that's what I want my life to be, right? I don't wanna settle just for knowing the psalm, but I wanna know the shepherd. I want my life to belong to him. I want my life to be found in the shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, thank you for how vividly Paul describes his life in you and how challenging it is for us, Lord, to, to see what is really of value, to see what really matters in our lives, Lord. So, Lord, I just simply ask this morning you would take your word and you would implant it in our hearts and our souls that we might live out of your word, that your word would transform us by your spirit this morning. Uh, Lord, that we might count everything else in our lives as garbage compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing you, of having a personal relationship with you, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Our heart's desire is to receive that from you this morning. Because, uh, Lord, this is your living word. Those are your words put on paper, and we thank you, Lord, and we receive those this morning. We give all of this to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. 
North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.